Well, would you say that you are a devoted person? Are you a devoted person? Right away, I'm sure most of you have in your mind right now, devoted to what, Dan? It depends on what you're talking about. Are you talking about my family? Well, yes, then yes, I am a devoted person. Are you talking about school? Eh, Maybe, maybe. Are you talking about sports? Okay, some of you are devoted, some of you aren't. Are you a devoted person? It depends on what we're talking about. Well, let me ask it this way. Would other people say that you are a devoted person? Again, it might matter on what we're talking about, but the question still remains, would others say that you are that kind of devoted, loyal person? Growing up in Wisconsin, devotion to a certain football team was a given. And yes, go ahead, commence the booing, the groans, all of that. Whatever you might think about that team up north, there was one sports analysis who got it exactly right when he wrote it. Green Bay Packers fans are the most loyal fans around. Just look at the diehard fans that tackle the brutally cold winters to storm outside, cheer on the pack attack. It's a lifestyle. Yes, it is. (laughs) Devoted, you betcha. We will do the strangest things. We will brave the elements. And yes, I have been one of those to brave the elements and sit through a game with windchill at 10 degrees. But for you, it might not be sports. For you, it might be family or friends. Some of the freshmen that have just arrived at ISU over the last couple of weeks will find out soon if you're devoted to school or not. But how do we know if you or anyone is a devoted person? How do we know about someone's devotion? Well, it's by their actions, right? Maybe for some of you, as we think about devotion, you think of that classic collie named Lassie and his devotion to Timmy. You know he would go at any time and anywhere to find that young little boy. Well, here at the beginning of Acts, we see a picture of the church living life in community, a life of devotion, and a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. To get the context, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, we read Christ's great commission to be disciple-making disciples in verse 8, where we hear, but you will receive power, this is the lips from the lips of Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, we encounter the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, In verses 2 and 4, where we read, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, then as we continue on throughout chapter 2, we have Peter's famous Pentecost sermon. And finally, here at the end of chapter 2, what we just read, We have one of the clearest descriptions of the life of the early New Testament church. One commentator writes, Luke's summary here presents an ideal for the Christian community, which it must always strive for, constantly return to and discover anew, if it is to have the unity of spirit and purpose essential for fulfilling what we read in verse 8 of Acts 1, 
for an effective witness. In other words, what we see in front of us this morning in this short passage here in Acts 2 is a group who has been transformed by the gospel and are now truly devoted to the gospel going forward, to the mission of the church. And yet when we read verses like this, I think many of us, if we're honest, start to wonder why our experience hasn't been anything like this. Why haven't we experienced this? For if there ever was the good old days, these have to be them, right? But as we approach this text this morning, rather than looking back at the experience of the early church here in Acts and wondering why the church looks so different today, I want to instead just have us ask one simple question of ourselves. That each and every one of us would leave this morning asking this question. Are we devoted like this? Am I devoted like this? For this is the thing that should strike us the most about this picture of the early church, their devotion, and they devoted themselves. Now the truth is, while the extent of one's devotion is often attributed to their actions, so you're a devoted fan if you cheer a certain way or brave the elements, you're a devoted student because of the way you study, the reality is devotion has far more to do with one's identity than with one's actions. You see, while our devotion is made evident by our actions, our devotion is actually fueled by our identity. Let me say that again. Our devotion is made evident by our actions. We can see your devotion through your actions, but our devotion is actually fueled by our identity, by who we are. Well, the world says it the other way around, though. The world believes our devotion, lived out in our actions, shapes our identity. It makes who we are. And so, for example, as a Packer fan, when I spend a lot of time watching the game, when I buy the newest team gear, and I keep up on the latest team news, I look devoted. I become devoted to this team. My identity then begins to change from merely Dan to Dan the Packer fan. You see how that happens? In our world's understanding, my actions and my performance change my identity. What I do influences who I am. And so then, in order for me to remain identified as this fan or this student. I have to keep up my devotion by my performance and my actions, and that cycle just continues on and on. My performance and my actions show that I'm devoted. Biblically, however, the truth is that your identity shapes and fuels what you will be devoted to. In fact, from the very beginning of Scripture, the beginning of God's story in Genesis chapter 1, at creation, we observe this truth, how human beings created in the image of God, nothing that we've done in and of ourselves, we were created to live out that identity in a relationship with God, imaging Him. And again, as we go throughout the entire scriptures, we see this over and over again, how our identity shapes and fuels our devotion. Who we are shapes what we do. And this is exactly what we see happening here at the end of Acts 2. For the early church understood that their identity had been fundamentally changed. That Jesus had changed who 
they were. And then in turn, it changed what they did. Now that they were in Christ, and if you've ever read through the New Testament, you will notice that phrase show up time and time and time again. In Christ. This early church knew that they were in Christ, and so they lived out that reality. They were no longer who they once were. Once blind, now they see. Once God's enemies, now they are seated at his table. Once a slave, now a child, free to delight in God. You see, what we have in front of us here is not just a nice story of the good old days. No, this is a glimpse into the life of the church here in Acts that's not a monument for us to just observe and then reminisce about, but rather a model for us to learn from and emulate as the church today. This is to be the common experience of the church. This is what we are to look like because of who we have been created to be. You see, I believe God uses his servant Luke to record these rhythms in the early church's life, not just for our head knowledge, not just for information, but rather so that in the end, we today would conform our life as a church to these rhythms as well. That we too would be, as we'll see this morning, devoted to Christ, devoted to one another, and devoted to God's mission. So notice with me first how these new believers lived out their identity and their devotion to Christ. It says they devoted themselves. Now this word devoted is used some six times throughout the book of Acts, and each time it refers to a continued faithful adherence to. Or, you could put it this way, they were persistently obstinate in something. Another translation will say they were steadfastly continuing in these things. Now, this is what our kids did or, or still do when we are busy sweeping up a pile of dirt in our kitchen. Remember when they were younger? They became persistently obstinate about that pile of dirt. Tons of toys everywhere else, but for some reason, they have to be persistently obstinate about playing in that pile of dirt. Ladies, it's what your husband is like when you drive by that, that little business that has a hot and now sign on it. You know what I'm talking about? Krispy Kreme, and all of a sudden, your husband becomes persistently obstinate about those fresh, hot donuts. Yes, I know I just lost some of you guys here. All you can think about is donuts now. This is that word devotion, continuing steadfastly, persistently obstinate, obstinate about one thing, and Luke uses the same word back in chapter 1 and verse 14, where he explained how the disciples were in constant, devoted prayer as they waited for the promised Holy Spirit. This was not just a casual experience for the early church. This was a lifestyle. The church was not just a hobby for them. No, they were persistently obstinate about this. And Luke lists four activities. Or we could say rhythms of life together as a summary of their devotion. He says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, of course, it's not all that surprising that we would read that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. For teaching plays an important role in the life of the early church, and especially 
considering how much time Jesus spent instructing the crowds and his inner band of followers. So accordingly, the the early church would devote their time to hearing the apostles' teaching, to hearing Christ's words. And even though we're not given an exact description of what was being taught by the apostles here, I think it's safe to say, as we see from the rest of the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, that what was being taught here was the word about Jesus, the word of the gospel, including explanations of how the Old Testament pointed to the person and work of Jesus. Jesus commands and then what it looked like to live as citizens in his kingdom. As a matter of fact, Luke actually recounts the disciples' conversion with Jesus back at the end of Luke in chapter 24 and verse 27 when Jesus himself explains that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, these are the things concerning myself. All these things in Scripture point to me. And so there's no doubt That what this early church was devoted to was this word of Christ. The church devoted themselves to hearing the word of Christ because, again, they knew that they were in Christ. Their identity had been changed. And so, they were persistently obstinate about the word of Christ. Are we? Are you? And see, church, this is why every Sunday when we gather together, we spend this time together as the church. We open up his word. We sit under the authority of his word. And we receive nourishment from this word. This word is central to our life together. It's not just a time for us to hear a man up here speak for a couple minutes or more. No, this word tells us about the one from whom we receive our identity. This word points us to Jesus, and so we devote ourselves to him, to hearing about him. For in him we receive our very life. But also notice that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Not only the word, but fellowship. This is the Greek word koinonia, and it literally means a sharing of one's self. And as we see, the deep level of intimacy that this early church has with Christ and other believers is lived out in the following verses, which we'll get to. Author Jerry Bridges comments, the first Christians in Acts realized that their fellowship with God logically brought them into fellowship with one another. You see, here's the thing. Christianity is community living. A devoted life is most definitely not an isolated life. Paul, using the metaphor of the body, as he writes to the church in Corinth, states it this way, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? You see, there are no loner disciples in Scripture. Their union with Christ meant they had union with others. And so they devoted themselves to fellowship. We'll touch on this a little bit more in a minute. And so let's move on to see the third element of their devotion. Not only the apostles' teaching and fellowship, but then verse 42 tells us, to the breaking of bread. Here we have a a common New Testament expression that would refer to the Lord's Supper, what we just together 
celebrated in communion. Luke's first readers would have been aware of this common practice in the early church, and they would have understood this phrase, the breaking of bread, to mean the Lord's Supper. This was a fellowship meal, a a family meal whereby their union between God was remembered and celebrated in the midst of their union, their communion with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, this is why as we celebrated this morning our redemption, we celebrated it together as the body. In the breaking of the bread and in the drinking of the cup, we declare together not only our oneness with our Savior, but our oneness with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, his bride. This is why it's a regular rhythm that we have as a church. When we devote ourselves to the breaking of the bread, we are reminding ourselves of this union with God and with one another. Well, the fourth activity that Luke quickly moves to is their devotion to the prayers. They were devoted in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And this could have a reference to the formal prayer hours of Judaism in the temple, but more likely what's happening here is that this phrase was a broader reference to their shared life of prayer together in their homes as they conversed with the Father. Maybe easy for us to then just skip by this and go, yeah, well, that that sounds like something the church should do, should pray together. But let's pause for a moment and ask why. I mean, why would Luke mentioned this here, if it's just the assumed thing in the life of a church. Why would he say they devoted themselves to the prayers? Why would prayer be such a necessary rhythm to devote ourselves to? Well, again, you might recall from earlier in chapter 1 and verse 8, they heard from the lips of Christ this great commission to go, be his witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This mission that they had received was enormous. I mean, they heard that and just immediately would have to think, that's a lot, Jesus. And we've got to go not only to our neighbors in Jerusalem, but then throughout all Judea, Samaria, and then you tack on the end of the earth. I mean, seriously, that's a lot. That's a lot of ground to cover here. The truth is, The mission that they were given, the same mission we are given, will not succeed on sheer manpower alone. It simply cannot happen in our own human strength. And so, we were reminded at the beginning of verse 8 in Acts 1, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's no wonder that the church devoted itself to this rhythm of declaring their desperate dependence on the Spirit to give them power for God's mission. They knew they absolutely couldn't do it on their own, and so they devoted themselves to prayer. This is why we as Calvary Baptist Church should devote ourselves to the rhythm of prayer as well. Our mission is immense, but we have the Spirit who empowers us. He has called us to go to Bloomington Normal, to the state of Illinois, to the United States and to the ends of the earth, to our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our city, it is enormous and we need God's help. But I have to ask, are we devoted to prayer? 
or are we just too busy for it? The bottom line is, as we read verse 42, the early church was devoted to Christ, to the teaching of Christ, the fellowship and sharing of Christ, the celebration of Christ and the breaking of bread, and their dependence on Christ in prayer. Each of these activities demonstrated a level of their devotion to Christ. But sadly, this kind of devotion is uncommon in the church today. But why? Why, if we have it plainly in the Word of God, is it so uncommon for a church to experience that kind of devotion? I'd venture to say it's because many have fallen into understanding the church's identity that is more shaped by the world than the Word. For example, many believers simply think if I go to church on Sunday morning, then people will identify me as a Christian. They'll see me drive out of my driveway and drive into this driveway. They'll wonder where, where I've been for a little bit. Maybe my neighbors ask, and oh yeah, I, just, I went to church this morning. And so again, my performance matters to keep up my identity as a Christian. All I have to do is attend. I show up, sing, sit, stand, sing again, sit down, and I'm out, even before the pastor says amen. Devotion? It's hard to be convinced isn't it? And yet the believers here in Acts 2 devoted themselves to Christ because they knew that their identity had been fundamentally changed by the gospel. They now were in Christ. Christ ends. And flowing out of that identity was their devotion. They couldn't Help but learn more about Christ. Fellowship with those who are learning about Christ. Celebrate Christ together and declare their dependence on Christ for the mission that he had given them. And notice what the result is in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The result of devotion to Christ is Worship, all of life as an act of worship, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, Paul says in Romans 12. Oh, friend, the simple question for us today as we read these verses is, are we devoted to Christ like this? As you are in Christ, a Christian, is this what your devotion looks like. Well, going further, the early church gave evidence to their changed identity in Christ by being devoted to one another. And so we read, read in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As we said earlier, Christianity is life lived in community and flowing out of their identity as the family of God, this early New Testament church, began to live like a family. It only made sense. We are the children of God and so we are a family together and so we live like family in proximity and intimacy. They began to live together, be together as the church. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they all physically lived in the same homes. But what it does mean is that there was this unique closeness they demonstrated as the church. They were unified in Christ. One commentator notes, according to the Bible, 
the entire Christian life, spiritual growth, battling sin, serving God, all of life is intended to be done in community. For here's the thing. We are actually incomplete without each other. We need each other to be devoted to Christ. I need you to say, hey, Dan, you're off. You need to get your eyes fixed on Christ. Well, in our individualistic society, this idea of biblical community seems rather strange, doesn't it? I mean, for the most part, we live private lives without interference from others. And we really only open up to a certain segment of people around us and only open up our lives to a certain part of showing them what our lives are like. And yet that nowhere comes close to the biblical ideal we see here in Acts 2. This idea of devoting ourselves to the fellowship and having all things in common. And if we're honest, when we, when we read this phrase, many of us will start to say, well, okay, I'll open myself up, but just on the surface level, all right? So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk about my vocation just a little bit with others. Or maybe if we choose the same type of education, that puts us into community with one another. Uh, maybe I'll talk about sports teams. Maybe we'll dress alike. But that's not at all what is taking place here in Acts. This phrase, all things in common, is actually referring to how they held their possessions. They held them lightly, not tightly. And verse 45 describes this further, saying that they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. What's taking place here is that the early church was practically living out their identity as the family of God and saying, hey, if it's mine, it's yours. And yet, what do we do? We build fences around our homes. Stay out. We don't treat others, and we even don't treat each other as the family of God is the family. We say you can only be let in at certain times. No, the early church, devoted to fellowship, they knew that that touched their pocketbooks too. And that's some serious devotion. You see, if we, the church, as the family of God, were to see ourselves as so, that would certainly influence how we act, wouldn't it? It would result in this type of intimacy with one another, like that of the early church. Spending time together, united together, having all things in common. And this is, this is why we've placed here at Calvary in our covenant the phrase, we will not neglect our meeting together in corporate worship and small group settings. Because we covenant together to this, we believe, we believe that we need to be together as the church. We are the family of God, and so we commit to be together in corporate worship and small group settings. We believe we're actually incomplete without each other as the body of Christ, and so we want to be lovingly intrusive with one another, pointing sin out, saying, hey, come here with me. Let's devote ourselves to Christ as we devote ourselves to one another. We keep each other accountable to being here on Sundays, and when someone misses a Sunday, it hurts the body. When someone misses out on community groups, it hurts us. 
Because we are together, all things in common. If there are no loner disciples in Scripture, then why would we allow there to be loners here at Calvary? Again, the simple question is, are we devoted to one another? Are we living out our identity as the family of God and our devotion like this? The early church lived out their identity in Christ by being devoted to Christ. They lived out their identity as the family of God by being devoted to one another. And finally, we see that they lived out their identity as sent ones by being devoted to God's mission in verses 46 through 47. Do you remember the first time your parents gave you charge over your siblings? I remember it. And I think my siblings remember it too. That was a rush of authority. When they finally let me be in charge of my two sisters and my brother who were all younger than I. I mean, who cares about all the responsibility that comes with that? That wasn't in my mind. I'm in charge. And I think I said that to them several times that first time. Listen here. Dad and mom said I'm in charge, so you better do what I say. There's a rush of that authority. But then, as you could all imagine, at some point, as I'm in charge, the weight of responsibility falls on me when something happens that wasn't supposed to happen. And now not only am I in charge, but now mom and dad are going to come to me and say, why did that happen? I felt that weight. Yikes, I'm responsible. I imagine to a certain extent, this is how the disciples felt when they heard that great commission. We have authority because Christ has given his spirit to us. We have this authority to go and declare the gospel to all nations, and yet there is this weight of responsibility when they hear it's to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. This is huge. But since God does not leave his people to accomplish his mission on their own, he sends the promised Holy Spirit. And as always, the promises God's, God makes, he keeps. And so the Spirit comes and empowers them to witness. And so it's no surprise then that when we get here to verses 46 and 47, that we find them living on mission in the city of Jerusalem. They are simply living out their identity as witnesses, as sent ones of the risen Christ. But look down here at verse 46. And day by day, Luke tells us, here's how it's happening Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, in their shared life together, day by day, they are being together in the temple. They are being together in their homes. One translation reads, every day they devoted themselves in these areas. Now, for the temple, this doesn't specifically mean that they were going to the temple and as was the custom in Judaism, worshiping together there. No, again, they were seen as some outsiders. They had devoted to Christ. And yet, the temple still was the center spot in the city. And so they knew as they would go to the temple, there would be others there, and most likely many in the city, who still needed to hear about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so they became regulars there. 
They said, we're going to be regularly meeting at the temple so we can live on mission. This is a space for us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all those who are regulars here too. You see, they love their city so much that they were an integral part of their city. They were devoted to the mission of God going to their city. Are, are we that devoted? Do we know where people are regulars here in Bloomington Normal, and are we going there with intention? But also notice that they're doing this in their homes. They're eating meals together, which is an important expression of fellowship in any culture. For, for the reality is, if you really want to get to know someone, you eat together. But again, this isn't just isolated gatherings of believers. No, they are bringing in their not yet believing friends, family members, co-workers. Because notice what verse 47 says. They had favor with all the people. The early church viewed their homes as evangelistic centers where they would put on display their redeemed lives. They viewed their front doors as the front door to the church. And notice what happens. As they are regulars in their city, and as they're welcoming people into their homes, they're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. I mean, a meal is served, and but worship breaks out. And not by accident. This is an intentional praise to the giver of all good things. They're sitting there with their unbelieving friends, and they're saying, how good is our God that he would gift us with these things? And guess what? You know why we have these things? Because we're we have all things in common with our brothers and sisters, and they've just given us this. I mean, isn't that amazing? And by their love for one another, their friends knew that they were disciples of Christ. They're enjoying life together, devoted to God's mission, going forward in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For that's what the Spirit had empowered them to do. In Calvary, this is what he has empowered us to do as well. He has given us power to be his witnesses. So as his sent ones, are we, are you, devoted to God's mission? Well, in closing, notice what happens at the very end of this passage in verse 47. Then the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Huh. Here's the good news. As they are devoting themselves to Christ, to one another, and to God's mission, God builds his church. The Lord added to their number. I mean, if you want to know what a biblical church growth strategy is, here it is. They pray, proclaim, and God builds. It's that simple. Author Sinclair Ferguson writes, the church lies at the center of the eternal purposes of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community, conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history and to be perfected in future eternity. His purpose is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. So the result of this devotion, because they have been changed, their identity had been changed, and so they lived out that identity, was that God built his church. And so you might be asking as we close, well, how do we go about applying this, Dan? 
What does this mean for us here in Bloomington Normal? I mean, that's a distance from Jerusalem. Well, I believe the answer is just as simple as that question, are you devoted? The answer is we simply devote ourselves to these same things, to Christ, to the word, fellowship, the, the breaking of the bread and prayer. Are we devoted to Christ? We devote ourselves to one another, to spending time together, to being involved in each other's lives through corporate worship and small group gatherings, being lovingly intrusive with one another. Are we devoted to one another? But then also being devoted to God's mission, to going out, becoming regulars here in Bloomington Normal so that we could proclaim the good news. Not so that we could save people, but that we could watch God build his church in front of us. But Dan, do you think that what we see here in Acts 2 can still happen today? I mean, do you really believe that here in Bloomington Normal, we could see God build his church like this? Well, here's my answer. From what I know from this book that we have just studied this morning, the same God rules and reigns, the same spirit empowers, and the same Jesus is proclaimed. So you tell me, are you devoted?